Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the uh, third podcast. I'm lucky to have uh, Michael Muscari here as my third guest. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Glad to hear that. Um, really privileged to have Michael here on this uh, podcast. Michael is an entrepreneur. He spent some time in finance down in the U.S., uh, is a master NLP practitioner, and is now getting into rheology practitioner as well. He's going to be talking more about the course that him and his girlfriend, Crystal, are putting together for couples and relationships, uh, an area of our lives that we all could use a little bit more uh, information on as it's always challenging to be in a relationship, you know, there are always fights that come up. So I'm going to let Michael introduce himself a little more uh, and talk to you a little more about where he's come from and what he's doing um, at this moment. Go ahead. All right, thanks so much for the intro. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I've been an entrepreneur for the past half dozen years, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I started out as a financial uh, strategist um, in New Mexico and did that for about four years. Um, after some shifts in my purpose, I decided to launch a couple of my own entrepreneurial endeavors, which led me into the personal growth, personal development world. Uh, I got into NLP and also um, a practice, which we're going to talk a bit about, which is called Rheology. And um, yeah, as you also mentioned, the course coming up with Crystal and myself, we're going to be focusing on. Um, helping others to put um, some agreements and language pieces in place in their relationship to really help couples be more harmonious and more partnership in a team. Awesome. Looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say about that. Uh, first, let's talk about a little bit what rheology is. I believe you've um, trained with Jake and Hannah Eagle. They've, uh, they're kind of your mentors on this. So for people that are not familiar with this uh, area, talk a little more about um, how you were mentored and your expertise and kind of where you've been able to get some of the knowledge that you're going to be sharing with people on the podcast today. Yeah, so Jake and Hannah Eagle have been mentors of mine for almost the past four years. Um, They own a piece of work called Rheology, and Rheology was actually created by John and Joyce Weir, who were a part of the human potential movement in the 60s. And Jake and Hannah um, picked this work up from John and Joyce and were essentially gifted this work to carry it on um, as they retired. And so I got hooked up with Jake and Hannah, uh, working at an ad agency actually, and they, were clients of ours, and I just really loved the work they were doing, and they made me an offer one day to come and check it out firsthand and go on one of their lab experiences, which is a seven-day personal growth retreat, um, where we basically go to a safe space with a group of like-minded individuals to work on ourselves, to develop ourselves, Um, to figure out maybe some of what our limiting belief patterns might be or some of the things uh, that we're holding ourselves back with. Um, And after my first lab, I was uh, just hooked. The changes that I was seeing in myself, um, self-directed change at that, was just amazing for me. And I started to change my life and really live my life more congruently with who I say I want to be and how I want to show up with other people. Um, things of that sort. So that's kind of the background on Jake and Hannah and a rheology lab. 
And so how many of these retreats have you been on? Kind of paint a little bit more picture. I'm assuming that you would go on one of these retreats as a couple, right? You would go with somebody or do people kind of go on their own? Um, give a little more background to kind of what, um, when you went on a retreat, Jake and Hannah, kind of what it looked like and kind of what things you guys went through there a little bit. Sure. Um, I've now been on three labs and I will be going on my fourth um, in July. And I've, I've been on two with uh, romantic partners, and I've been on one by myself. So you can, people can go either individually or they can go with a partner. It's great to go with a partner um, because if there are any communication issues between you and your partner, it's a great space to work on those areas and also um, sharing at a more intimate level with our partners, which is one thing that I think most of us uh, in our busy modern day lives can use some more uh, coaching on or just self-exploration on how do we want to show up as a couple, how do we want to work together. And so to give you more context to answer your question about the lab itself, um, the lab is a com combination of um, lectures and experiences, but it's mostly experiential. Um, one of the keys that we really find to be different about this work than any other work that Crystal and I have personally done or that I've personally done is that nobody at the lab will ever tell you about you unless you ask others for feedback. So when we go to the lab, we're learning to own ourselves and everything we think, say, and do. And we're also learning to start to end praise and blame in our lives. So we praise others and blame others to get them to essentially to do what we want. Um, and so when we're in the lab, we try not to do these things. We try not to um, get other people uh, or give other people praise or blame. We try to keep them, uh, or I'm sorry, we, we try to keep our conversation about us, only talking about what we're feeling and what's happening for each of us. And so why do you, um, when you're kind of doing these retreats, what is the reason for not praising or not blaming? Because it seems like we live in a culture where people might even say right now we praise too much, right? There's always talk that kids are getting participation ribbons for just not showing up at a sporting event. Um, and so how come blame or praise is seen as a negative um, when normally it's seen as a very positive thing in our society? What is uh, part of the rationale behind that? So part of the rationale behind no praise and no blame is that they're forms of manipulation. So we can use praise and we can use blame to get people to act certain ways. And so in this idea of creating more meaningful and more mature partnerships um, more and, and relationships as a whole, if we communicate what's going on for us instead of telling someone else what they're doing, we're constantly owning ourselves, we're constantly owning our own experience um, and not projecting that onto someone else. So I know this is a big topic that comes up in the labs with parents is, is exactly what you're saying, you know, how do you not praise, you know, your child because it's such a good thing, gets, gets um, them working with you and gets the family working together. Um, but in, in the rheology practice, they find that just communicating and asking others about what they're feeling is a better way to extract what's really going on for that person instead of trying to get them a good boy or a bad boy to get them to do what, what you want them to do. Um, and it also goes back to kind of the deeper 
uh, root of rheology, which is the way that we're each making meaning of our lives. So one of the, the core beliefs of rheology is that each of us is making up meaning of the events that take place in our lives. So you and I can be sitting here and experience maybe a car crash out front and experience two different stories, experience two different things happening. And uh, we could debate if I'm right or you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong all day long, but it's not going to change our perceptions, um, which goes back to not praising and not blaming. Sometimes events happen and people just perceive reality differently and I'm not right and you're not wrong. We both just have perceived things differently. So that's kind of another core component is how do we make meaning of the things that are taking place in our life. Yeah, that's one of the things that we um, had coffee about a week ago and I was kind of uh, learning more about this and kind of screening to see if it would be a good fit for the podcast and you did say two things that really struck a chord with me. One was making meaning of reality, and two is the relanguaging of our lives, right? And it's yes. totally true um, with praise. Actually, there's a book in my room right now uh, that I'm reading. It's called The Psychology of Persuasion, and one of the chapters is on liking, and it actually talks about how if a salesperson gives you a compliment, you're much more likely to buy something from them, right? If they, we get any kind of praise, we're actually hardwired to respond more positively to people that give us compliments or praise who we are. And so it is interesting because it can be used in a good way, but it can also be used in a manipulative way, the way you've been speaking about. So how, um, in a relationship, I think an example you talked about last time with you and Crystal is that you guys always fight about um, dirtiness and like dishes and stuff like that. How your definition of being clean is a little bit um, higher than hers, if you want to use that language. So talk about the making meaning of reality and kind of how that works a little bit in a relationship context and how people can use that to kind of maybe change the way they perceive the world or how they're looking at things right now in their personal reality. Yeah, that's that's a great one and it's a, a, a constant topic of discussion with the two of us because it's real and it's something we've worked through and, and found an agreement on that works for both of, both of us. And so just to give everyone a bit of context, um, yeah, my girlfriend Crystal and I have different preferences on uh, how we keep our personal space. And I am the classic meat freak, I guess you might say. And um, she's not uh, as concerned about being a meat freak as I am. And so when we decided to move in together and started really experiencing how one another holds our space or keeps our space, we found that there were some differences. And as I'm sure most people have found, whether it's, you know, do you squeeze the toothpaste from the top or the bottom, um, little arguments and little flare-ups can happen because of these little things in our life, and we make them out to be something much bigger than they are. Um, so when we have a disagreement like this, to use the rheology orientation, um, what we do is we own ourselves. So I don't tell Crystal, Crystal, ah, you're, you're a mess, you know, you're a slob, you're totally disrupting my workspace, you know, in the apartment or whatever. What I do is I tell her about me and I say, um, I'm experiencing that things are a little dirtier than I'm used to keeping them. Um, when things are a little dirtier, I make myself kind of anxious to clean and I don't want to work until things are really cleared. And she's like, okay, well, thanks for sharing what you're experiencing. Um, instead of us getting in this little argument about it. 
And then from there, I can ask her, can you help me to keep the apartment a little bit cleaner so I can calm my nerves? And she gets a choice then to be like, you know what, I really don't care that the apartment's dirty. Or, yeah, you know, I want to be this excellent partner and I want to help you have a better time living with me. And so what we did is we created agreements around that. She's like, what specifically bothers you? And some of the things were like, well, when dishes get left on the counter and glasses are everywhere and those type of things. I, and I said, you know, if they could just make it to the sink and then we'll load them in the dishwasher or whatever in the evening, that would be a, a great agreement for me. Can you meet me at that place? And again, she has a choice. Oh yeah, I can do that. Which she could also said, no, I can't. And so um, instead of us getting into this constant battle over, well, things should be clean because that's my way, or I don't want things to be clean because that's not my way. I talked about myself. I owned what I was feeling instead of projecting that onto her. And then I asked her for what it was that I needed. And so those are some of the steps that you, I've learned through Rheology. Um, and you mentioned Respeak. And, and the way I think about Respeak is I think Respeak is a mindfulness practice for speaking. Um, so often uh, I am quick to react instead of act the way I want to or speak very quickly based on past um, events that have happened instead of being in the present moment and thinking about what I want to say and owning myself. And so respeak gives me this mindfulness practice uh, to do that, this set of tools to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Go into respeak a little bit more because it's the first time you've used that term. Um, I believe that's called relanguaging your lives a little bit, but kind of for the audience, uh, elaborate a little more on what respeak is. Yeah, respeak is a way for me to talk about me or to own myself when I'm speaking. So, so much in our culture, I'll, I catch myself uh, doing this all the time, and I've already caught myself a couple times on this podcast but I'll be talking about myself and I say you. You can do this, you should do that, you, you, you. But really I'm only talking about me. I'm talking about my experience, I'm talking about things that I've done in my life, and I'm talking about my feelings. And so respeak is a way for me to own myself and relanguage my life. So if, if you and I got into an argument, instead of me being like, oh you piss me off, you make me so angry, I would say, I piss myself off, I make myself angry when this happens. So it's a slight variation, um, it's, it's just a little bit different, but I'm taking the blame out of the argument, I'm taking the blame out of the disagreement. I'm owning the feelings that I'm feeling instead of projecting them onto you and saying, you caused this to happen. You're just doing what you do and I get to react to you or act the way I want to. And so by relanguaging my life or respeaking, I'm owning myself and, and everything I say in our in our relationship or in our, con in our conversation. It's like a form of taking responsibility, I guess, for your actions and kind of what's going on inside your mind and body as opposed to, um, I guess, projecting blame onto a situation or another person. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty accurate way of describing um, respeak and, and rheology in general, I like to say is a way for me to own myself and everything I think, say, and do. So if I could stay in the rheology orientation all of the time, I would be taking ownership for all aspects of myself, thoughts, words, and deeds.
Okay, let's try to break it down for an example to uh, the audience. Let's go back to with you and Crystal and kind of there being a mess. So let's say that Crystal does leave out dishes somewhere and you know it's not up to the agreement that you guys have. You know she left um, out about on the counter um, and you get upset at that. How? Why are you not responsible for getting upset at her? It's like you know she clearly violated the contract that happened there. So where is the onus on you to kind of not be upset with her for what she did there? Well, uh, again, taking a step back, being mindful, uh, looking at what's happening, taking ownership for what I'm feeling. Step number one. And say I do anger myself. I make myself angry. Dishes are out. The kitchen's a mess. Um, and she clearly broke the agreement. So I have a choice again, and she has a choice. Um, and when we're talking specifically of like romantic partners or people that we're choosing to be with and live with, um, we've kind of set some boundaries in these type of relationships where um, we look at how big something is, how important something is in our lives. And the more serious it is to us, the less we allow each other to break those agreements without saying something. So this is a rather small thing. I do frustrate myself with it, but it's not this deal-breaking, game-changing thing. So if the apartment does get a bit messy, I will generally be like, hey, things are getting a little messy. Can we clean it up? Or, you know, I'm, I'm not responsible for this mess right here. Can you clean it up? And other times, I just clean it up. Um, because I know she is quite busy too, and so that's a way for me to be a good partner as well. Um, but if it's a bigger thing, if it's something that's much more important to me in our relationship, and let's say we're breaking those boundaries or those agreements that we set with one another, um, it's a much more serious thing. If, if it's really important to me, let's say for Crystal, I'm just trying to make up hypothetical here. Um, yeah. When I'm sharing myself with her, sharing about hard times for her to be present and focused and listening, that is something that's important to me. Um, and she's not able to do that, and we've agreed that she's gonna do that, like maybe she'll hop on her cell phone or, or something like that, check, check a message real quick, and I feel she's not um, listening the way you know I would want her to listen to me. That's more serious to me. So if something like that happened and she was not um, keeping those agreements, I would ask her, you know, is this important to you to, to be engaged with me in this conversation? Because when we made agreements, you, you know, you told me it was and I asked you not to be on your phone and I see that you're doing it. Is this important to you? And again, it's a choice for her to be like, yeah, it is or no, it isn't. And generally, when those things happen, we're quick to redo ourselves, what we call a redo. So you're right, I made this agreement. Um, I know it's important to you. I'm going to redo myself. I'm going to put my phone away. And can you, can you start over? I, I'm, you know, I apologize for acting myself that way. Um, now, our mentors, Jake and Hannah Eagle, when we're talking about these things, I'm going to call them negotiables and non-negotiables. So, the dishes are negotiable, right? We make small agreements, it's not a huge deal. But things that are more important to our life may be non-negotiable. So if a non-negotiable agreement continually is not being upheld, that may be a clear sign 
that that person really doesn't want to uphold that agreement and maybe they're not capable of upholding that agreement maybe they don't want to and maybe that needs to be a larger conversation about is this the right partnership which I know for people that have been together for a long time or being married this is probably not great or what everyone wants to hear um, I've been married myself and I've gotten divorced and um, my relationship had no agreements and no real um, boundaries built into it. And I feel that living this way now with these agreements and boundaries and knowing that certain things are actually deal breakers for my partner, um, I just feel like that makes me a better partner for her and her a better partner for me. And it gives us this motivation, this, this willingness to essentially work hard for one another, to be there for one another. Um, so it's work, for sure, and it, it can also be eye-opening when people have been together for some length of time and they find that their partner is just not willing or is not capable of meeting one of their non-negotiable needs. It sounds like you guys spend uh, a lot of time on these agreements, right? You're using that word agreements. And to me, it's almost like a very clear, open relationship, but the communication there is just really on point, and you both know each other very well, which is something I find that a lot of couples just don't spend enough time talking to. I know couples that have, you know, gotten into, um, you know, they get married, but they haven't even talked about fully, like, you know, how they're gonna raise their kids, and when they have kids, they're gonna have, they have these huge fights about, you know, how the kids being raised. So it's interesting how some things aren't discussed proactively almost, right, and kind of anticipating what's gonna be two or three years out. So how much time do you guys spend on your agreements and kind of understanding what one needs and kind of what's important and what isn't? Yeah, great question. Um, when we considered getting together more than just dating, you know, we, we decided to like move in together, um, we really take to look, took a look at what was important to each of us and we each made a separate list of our negotiables and our non-negotiables. Like these are the things I need in a relationship. For example, um, uh, one of Crystal's agreements right up front was I need to be in a monogamous relationship. I'm not looking for polyamory, right? Like people have different, different wants and desires. Um, and so we each came up with these type of lists. I need a partner that can motivate me and push me. Like, I need someone who wants to work just as hard as I do to accomplish great things in life. So that was one of my non-negotiables. Like, if you're not willing to go on this journey with me, it's probably not going to be a good long-term partnership. So we listed all these things out in the beginning. We talked through them really openly, really honestly, uh, very vulnerably. It's a very vulnerable discussion telling someone what all your needs are, and then there might Maybe being like, well, I can't do that for you. Um, How early on was this in the relationship? Like, was this like day three? Was it kind of like, you know, well, more into it? Um, when Crystal and I started dating, we actually were previously friends. So we knew each other. We knew kind of who we were. Um, so we'd known each other for over six months. Um, but this was very early in our actual romantic partnership outside of friendship. So it was, for us it was quite early, which maybe was a couple dates in. Now, I wouldn't ever really recommend 
<laughs> which seems so counterintuitive, uh, or to what we did, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people go on two dates and start having these agreements. As I mentioned, Chris and I knew each other very, very well before that. So what I would really recommend is, is more that people are on a dating phase, which should be very easy, should be very fun. They're interviews, they're little fun adventure interviews. So I would recommend that people date for um, you know at least three months without any serious, serious talking. Because essentially when we're going on these dates, we're getting to know another person and we're getting to know if we even want to commit to being in a more serious relationship with them. And it's a series of interviews. And so for us to start working on what's completely fundamentally important in our lives and if they can't provide it, they should just go on their way right now in the first couple of dates is a bit premature in my mind. I think those first few dates, first few months should just be fun and they should naturally progress into something that you feel is going to be more serious. And then when you feel it's going to be more serious, then that's the time to start having these, these agreement conversations or this is what I need, please tell me what you need, can we, can we make this work? Mm -hmm. So definitely not in the beginning. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I went on a date with a girl, I was like the second date and um, she basically played out on it and it turned to the first date went really well. And we talked about it, I'm like, well, like, you know, why don't you want to continue going on a second date? And she's like, well, you're very set in your ways, which I always think boundaries are kind of like a good thing to have. And, but she's made her opinion so quickly, and I talked to him, like, you know, it's only been one date, and, you know, it went well, and it's like in my books, and, like, we had fun. And she's like, yeah, but I think I know X, Y, Z about you, and she pointed out what she thought. And there was some truth in it, but some I'm like, I don't fully agree with that first opinion that you have. And so, but she's never really let it run its course, right? And it's interesting. And so I did mention to her, like, you know, we should at least try a second or third date. But it's funny how quickly we can just jump uh, to an opinion sometimes and not really let it be more open and just see where it can go. Yeah, I completely agree. And we're forming perceptions about everyone and everything that happens and, and I'm sure she, you know, I have no clue who she is, but I'm sure she was reacting based on some past um, maybe boyfriends or dates that she's been on or partners that she's been with and um, I think it takes a while to actually get to know someone and um, really understand what they're about and it really takes a lot of open and honest communication. Um, I can make perceptions up about you or a partner all day long, um, but they're just that, they're my perceptions. They're not, as you mentioned, that's not how you were, you were actually feeling about who you are. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it takes quite a while to, to get to know someone. Certainly not two dates. <laughs> I agree with you on that. If someone has been uh, you know, dating for three, four months, they've kind of gone through that initial phase of like fun little interviews as you call them, what would be, for somebody, a good opportunity to kind of bring this up conversation in front of somebody? Because it's going to be a little more serious and more direct. Is there a good situation or a good time that you could recommend? Or how would somebody kind of um, frame it for somebody so it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off them when they're having this conversation? Okay, great question. I, I think, as you mentioned, if you're together three, four months, is definitely a good time to be having these conversations. That should be plenty of time to get to know someone. Um, and what I would probably suggest um, is that you give that, that person time to prepare um, and see how they react to your initial request. Um, and I would probably frame it around 
being really open and honest. So I feel that uh, we're starting to get to a more serious place where, you know, seeing each other consistently three, four, or five times a week, whatever maybe it is. Um, and as this progresses, I want to make sure that we're making smart agreements and that we're not stepping on each other's toes with boundaries that I may not be even aware that I'm crossing with you. Um, so I would approach it that way and say, you know, I've been kind of thinking about what I need in my life and what makes me happy and, and what I know about myself. And I'd like to learn a lot more about the same things about you. You know, can we each maybe kind of prepare a list of, you know, a half dozen or whatever it is, maybe more for some and less for others, um, of these these things that you value in your life. Maybe it's your personal values. Maybe it's things you just know to be true about yourself. And then find a fun time where you can meet somewhere that's completely low pressure and have plenty of time to talk about these things. Um, Crystal and I actually did this at a park, just sitting out in the sunshine, maybe three hours or so, and just we both had our, our list together, which sounds quite nerdy, I'm sure, to pretty much everyone out there, but we had our list together and we, we shared with each other, you know, these are things that I really value in my life and this is important in a partner. Um, you know, do you value these things? How do you feel about these things? And then giving the other person that same opportunity to share. And then from there, seeing if, you know, are these really a good fit? Is this a good blend, a good mesh? Um, and you asked a good question before that I just wanted to not lose the thread of, but you said, how much time do we spend on this? Well, this isn't a one-time deal. It's not like this one-time shot and everything's perfect. That is so far from the truth. So we create those initial agreements. We, we agree upon them. Um, and then... Usually, right up front, everyone's working really hard, right? There's a, a problem or a new agreement made or something like that, and, and we're working really hard, but as time goes by and we get busy and we get used to our normal lives, we forget about the agreements and we need reminders and we need constant work on these things. So Crystal and I review our agreements no less than one time a month. So same thing, we set a time where we're going to be together for a couple hours, maybe go out for, for lunch or a dinner or something like that. And um, we, have, we both have a set of these agreements on our phone, on our notes app, as everyone has on their smartphone. And we just go through these agreements and we kind of ask each other, how do, you, how do you feel about each of these items? Are, am I upholding my end? Are you upholding your end? Is there an area where you need me to do better, essentially? Or can I help you in some other way? Um, and so we go through monthly and review these, these items, sometimes more. And which is one of our agreements, which is if we're not feeling connected for three days in a row, where we just feel like we've been off for three days, it's someone's responsibility, the person feeling the disconnect, to bring that up and to say, you know what, it's been like three days, I don't know what's going on, but I feel disconnected, can we chat about things, make sure everything's on track, you know, is, is something going on that I don't know about, like, you know, we build these little resentments about dishes and Cabinets not being closed and other things. Well, it's no different than uh, a roommate, too. Like, my old roommate, you know, he's a great guy. But there was times where, yeah, little things. I was a little bit cleaner than he was. And, you know, dish would accumulate. And it's funny how that tension would build up. And you could almost feel it building up between you. And none of us really wanted to address it, right? We talk about all the other things. But we didn't have a lot of serious, like, guy talks, right? Because, you know, like, men don't talk about these things. So <laughs> it was like we kind of fell into that stereotypical 
um, roommate situation. And so, but whenever we did have those conversations, it just like it, there was like a ease, right? It was like a breathing into like our relationship and we're roommates and it just made things us closer. And then it kind of, again, you know, like little things would stack up. But every time we did have those difficult conversations, that's when it really did help us, you know, um, get closer together. And I don't think relationships, you know, whether that's business, a roommate, or a romantic relationship, I think having those conversations is just so important because it really helps create that um, communication that you need between those people. I believe that you're you're exactly spot on there. Um, doesn't matter what type of relationship, these things we're talking about can work in any context, business, personal, roommates, friendships. Um, having, having agreements with all of these people, um, I think creates a lot more harmony because there's a lot less room for uh, misunderstandings. And what you also mentioned, the longer that we go without talking about what's bothering us, um, the more fuel that problem gets and the more internal self-talk it gets and the bigger um, that problem becomes. Um, and also the more energy we waste. So. If you have a roommate that's dirty and you're avoiding this conversation and you go home and you're pissed off every second you walk in the house, oh, I can't believe it's dirty again, oh, wow. you know, you're wasting a lot of mental energy on that, that self-talk, that inner dialogue. Um, I feel that it's much healthier and just much easier in general to go ahead and tell that person right up front, like, man, the apartment's getting dirty, can we, can we clean up or try and keep it a little bit cleaner and deal with that right up front and stop expending hours of mental energy on something that, that can be easily um, resolved within a few minutes if you just speak, speak your mind. Which, um, this is another kind of rule of rheology which is ask for what you want. You know, we can't expect other people to be mind readers. We have to ask for what we want. And I'm not sure that all of this have this, you know, a problem with asking for what, what we want. But I know a lot of us do have a hard time asking for what we want, especially when we perceive uh, that there's going to be tension with what we want. That the other person doesn't want to give us what we want in our mind for some reason. Um, I think it's a story that we're telling ourselves and we're making it up. And a lot of times it's not true. I think a lot of times the other person just doesn't know what it is we need or what we want. Which isn't always the case. Sometimes people are unwilling, which then you get the choice. Like, okay, they're unwilling. I need to make other arrangements in my living situation or whatever the, the problem may be. Yeah, from my personal experience, I've always found that uh, it's really scary to bring up any kind of conversation, like whether you're asking for a raise at work or you want to even say hello to an attractive person at a bar. It's like, it's initially really daunting to maybe do it, but when you do it, it does create a lot more ease like I remember last year when I asked for a raise at work and I thought it was the most daunting thing but like they completely agreed to everything that I asked for right they gave me everything spot on and afterwards I felt more validated because I was getting paid more of what I thought I was actually worth and so it's just important to kind of uh, remember that it's not easy to necessarily do but you gotta have to kind of ask for it and just have a little bit of courage I guess what it comes down to and just go for it yeah I agree I mean being in the financial service world, uh, you get used to hearing no. <laughs> you definitely do. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. We have to ask for what it is we want. Um, 
it can be challenging. We can totally create stories in our mind of why it's hard and why they're going to say no and on and on and on. But they're just stories. They're just um, little stories we're trying to we're trying to essentially protect ourselves from rejection by rejecting ourselves. So it's, it's kind of a, a circle that we could get stuck in, uh, chasing our tails essentially. Like, well, they're going to say no anyway, so if I just don't ask, you know, it won't hurt as bad. But really, you're just hurting yourself in the long run. So especially with, with partnerships and, and um, romantic partnerships, you have to ask for what it is you want. And if the other person cannot meet you there, maybe a real indicator that that's not the right person to be with. Which um, is a great point about not settling, whether it's on our roommate or the job that we're working or the partnership we're in, I just don't believe that we should settle. Um, yeah, I just don't believe we should settle. Steve Jobs would agree with you on that too, don't settle. Um, that whole thread actually reminds me of a Mark Twain quote where it's something along the lines where I've experienced many things, but few of which have actually happened. Yeah. And uh, it's true, we live in our minds so much where you know we can create a story and you think XYZ is going to happen, but when you actually play it out in reality, it almost always goes differently than the way you thought, right? It's just it never quite... Um, that horrific situation or what you think is going to be fear is going to happen, it rarely comes true. And so I think it's easy to live in our minds and not really test reality and see what's actually going to happen. Yeah, most all problems uh, reside in the past or the future. Um, very few of our problems exist in the very present moment. I'm not saying problems don't exist, but a lot of them are stories we're telling ourselves about what we think is going to happen. And um, Ha, huh, fear, fear-based living. Happens all the time. Yep, yeah. Uh, one other question for you, so we've talked a lot about couples. Um, you gave me some really good advice when we finished our coffee there last week. Uh, for somebody that's single, kind of in my boat, um, you said first write down what you want in a partner and then write down who you have to become to attract that partner, mm -hmm. which I thought was really um, great advice. I haven't quite fully done it yet, but sure. for the audience, um, Go over that a little bit more because I feel that's really great insight and kind of elaborate a little bit more, kind of just explain a little bit better than my uh, version of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about myself and when I was, um, I think it was about 23, I had decided, you know, it's time to, time to get a more serious relationship in my life and um, as most people do, I thought about these personality traits and certain things that of the person I wanted to be with and I said my list was something like uh, she has to be beautiful and funny and hardworking and smart right and so that was my list um, and I, I never really gave thought as to who I needed to be to attract that person but it happened and, and I you know um, fell in love as most people feel they do falling in love and like things were great and then couple years down the road they weren't great and things were just really unaligned and I started looking at this more carefully and I was like well I got everything that I said I wanted like what's what's going on and then as I really took a much deeper look into what all of those things meant to me more than just this label I was putting you know what does it mean to be a hard worker or what does it mean to be smart or funny um, 
as I started to take a look into that, I found that a lot of what I was after at that point in time was this facade, this idea of what I thought I really wanted. But then when I took this closer look, I found a whole different set of traits and a whole different set of um, characteristics and personality and, and also just behavior that I was looking for in a partner. And I also found that I wasn't living most of that in my life. And so I decided, well, I have to be congruent. You know, if I want my partner to do these things, I should be doing these things. And so um, that one kind of ended. As I mentioned, I got divorced. But basically, after looking at these things in my life, we really found that we were very unaligned. We helped each other in a lot of ways, and we had some good years together, but what we wanted out of our lives was fundamentally different. We just wanted completely different things. So being a single guy again at that moment, I started really getting serious. Okay, what is it that I really want in a partner? What are those characteristics? How does that person have to show up in the world? What are they doing with their life? You know, what are they giving to the world? Um, and then I looked at that again on my end and said, am I doing all of those things or am I on, the, on track of developing these characteristics in my own life? Um, I'm sure a million people out there have heard this, that like attracts like. You, you know, we have to be essentially on the same vibe to connect with one another. We have to be um, matched up with these type of values and characteristics in our lives to have a a good, good mesh, a good synchronicity, I believe. And so I just had to really get, um, get to know myself well and start making sure that I was congruent with what I said I wanted. Uh, does that answer your question? 100%. I think okay. the word congruent is um, a word that is not used enough. Um, I think when you are congruent with your personality and your identity, you're going to attract, like you said, like-minded like people. And you're gonna have more congruent friendships and more congruent relationships. And I think that's one thing that people, um, you know, where I need to spend a lot of time too, is just looking at, you know, am I congruent with my identity and what I'm doing? Well said. Uh, to wrap up, is there anything you want to uh, just speak a little more about what you and Crystal are doing? If people want to hear more from you guys or are interested in a course, uh, give the honest a little more where they can find some more information on what you guys are doing right now. Yeah, um, Crystal and I are going to be starting a introduction to rheology. Um, our, our company is called Neurograde and we will be teaching a two-day workshop to introduce people to the concepts of rheology including respeak, creating agreements and partnerships and some of the other things that we touched on. So our goal is to you know, continue to spread this work that has been so effective for us and to help other young couples and just people in general to find more harmony in their lives and their relationships. And so we will be actually launching our first uh, NeuroGrade weekend seminar slash workshop uh, next month. And that will be our, our pilot. And so we're excited to get that launched and we'll keep you updated um, when the website goes live and everything else like that. Cool. Any last things you want to say about rheology? Any last thoughts you want to leave the audience before we uh, wrap up here? Yeah, I mean, I would encourage anyone who's interested to go ahead and go to rheology.org. 
um, and check out Jake and Hannah's website and you can actually find Jake's book Rewrite Your Life which is a really amazing introduction to rheology. Um, the book is a conversation between him and his brother and it illustrates how rheology can be used um, really easily in, in one's day-to-day -day life and how it changes the outcomes of, of a relationship. So yeah, I encourage anyone who's interested to go and check out their material. Awesome. Well, uh, Mike, thank you for your time. appreciate it. Best of luck to you and Crystal uh, with the program, and I'll include some uh, notes on it uh, underneath the podcast for audience members uh, when it's ready to uh, check out some more information. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here.